Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Sawbones, American Tour of Misguided Medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Okay. That's, that's actually only weird because a bunch of you promised me before that you would cheer louder for me. So I guess you rethought it. Huh. All right. Well, I'll remember that. Dylan. <laughs> Don't put people on blast at the beginning of the show. That's the wrong answer. Dylan knows what he did. <laughs> He's skulking out of the theater. Uh, I'm so His excited. His pants fell down. Now who's the idiot? Dylan! All right, are you done yelling at Dylan? Yeah. <laughs> I apologize, Dylan. I can't do anything with him. Um, <laughs> I am so excited to be here. We mentioned before we came to Chicago that we needed topics related to Chicago, and I got so many suggestions. You all been sick a lot, huh? <laughs> it was great. I was overwhelmed. I was inundated with suggestions. Um, now, the majority of them were about Malort. <laughs> that, <laughs> which, which is... Uh, great. It's not, but that was great. <laughs> um, I don't think I could, I don't know how I would do an entire show about that. <laughs> but I, f I felt like it, we had to mention it first. Okay. We had to at least talk briefly. Because when I said, wow, Justin, most of the suggestions we got were about Malort, I felt like you didn't really understand why I said, I do a medical history podcast, what should I talk about in Chicago? And people were like, liquor, <laughs> this liquor. <laughs> Talk about this. It's bad. Talk about it. <laughs> did you... Did, I have no... Do you still not... I never told you. You still don't know why. Still don't know why. Uh, it's funny, because we were talking about it backstage, and Travis said, it seems like the kind of thing that probably, like, was secretly sold during Prohibition, because it tasted so bad, people thought it was, like, medicine, but it wasn't. Which is exactly... <laughs> exactly right. He, like, retconned that it's into history. That, it's exactly right about Malort. So it was brought to Chicago by Carl Jepsen, a Swedish immigrant. Carly Ray's great-great-grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, a, it's a, like, based on a Swedish Basque liqueur, which is, like, different kinds of herbal liquor kind of drinks, except this one is made with just wormwood, like absinthe, so, like, this was, even when absinthe was illegal for years and years and years, you could still get Malort, which also has wormwood in it, which is kind of strange. But that's probably why it doesn't taste so great, because it's, like, super bitter. 
And usually, I guess with this liqueur, they put other stuff in there, but Jepson was like, no way. <laughs> All I'm putting in there is the wormwood, and it is gonna be so bitter. And also, I, the rumor was that he was a really heavy smoker and had just like destroyed his taste buds. And so for him, he was like, I can taste it. <laughs> That's a plus. <laughs> Huge. Like the observer eating really spicy food on French. So he would indeed. <laughs> Thanks, French heads. <laughs> Both of you. I'm there with you. I love, I love French. Uh, it was just to entertain <laughs> you. I don't care what they think. And I loved it. So he would indeed sell his Malort out of a suitcase on the sidewalk. <laughs> just regular, just a regular drink. No, it was a medicine. That's even better. Here's a medicine I'm selling out of my suitcase on the sidewalk. But it's medicine, not alcohol. It just happens to have alcohol in it. And the, the story is that when like police officers would come by during Prohibition and be like, now, is that really medicine or are you just selling booze? He'd say, try some. <laughs> <laughs> and they would take a drink and go, okay. <laughs> That's got to be medicine, because who would ever drink that for fun? <laughs> um, of course, our friend John Hodgman is a big fan of Malort, and that was our introduction, or at least that was mine, yeah, my introduction to Malort. And he describes it as tasting like pencil shavings and heartbreak, <laughs> I believe. I think that's, yeah. that's an accurate description. Um, the, of course, Malort is still around for all your stunt drinking needs. <laughs> um, not for medicinal purposes anymore. It, I don't think it, it, it doesn't do anything for you medicinally. Um, the label, though, this is the last thing I'll say about Malort. The label used to be, it used to have this big, long, I guess, ad <laughs> on it. Um, it doesn't anymore, but what the label for Malort used to say, and I, I just had to mention this. It says, most first-time drinkers of Jepson Malort reject our liquor. Its strong, sharp taste is not for everyone. Our liquor is rugged and unrelenting, <laughs> even brutal to the palate. During almost 60 years of American distribution, we found only one out of 49 men will drink Jepson Malort. During the lifetime of our founder, Carl Jepson was apt to say, my Malort is produced for that unique group of drinkers who disdain light flavor or neutral spirits. It is not possible to forget our two-fisted liquor. <laughs> the taste just lingers and lasts seemingly forever. <laughs> the first shot is hard to swallow. Persevere, make it past two shot glasses. And with a third, you could be ours forever. <laughs> Which is great. It's great. I, I love you, Chicago. It still tastes bad, though. I, I feel like uh, two-thirds of the fast food industry is doing this exact policy, right? <laughs> we know it's frigging gross, but go ahead and eat it anyway, nasty. But that's not the, as I said, I, don't, I, I couldn't find a way to make an entire show about Malort. But uh, I did find a story that, that multiple people suggested, uh, thank you to Ella and Hannah and Christian, if any of you are here, that uh, this was a great story about the time that Chicago reversed the flow of its river. <laughs> Which, 
I had no idea about this. And as a person who I'm not an engineer, I was never particularly good at like physics or geography or anything <laughs> related to this. I found fascinating. And it, it is related to healthcare and medicine. That was like the, the primary reason. But I wanted to get into the story of how and why uh, Chicago decided that the Chicago River should flow the other direction. So, I was unaware yet one could just decide this. I, I didn't know either. I know I read that and I thought, well, how do you do that? <laughs> I want to tell you how you do okay, it. Okay, sorry, yeah, I shouldn't yeah. have interrupted. So it used, the, the river used to flow into Lake Michigan. Of course, now it flows out the other direction and joins the Mississippi River system. Uh, back in the mid to late 1800s, when it, when it all flowed the other direction, Chicago was growing. The population of Chicago was just like doubling and doubling and more and more people were moving in. And as more and more people were moving into the city, there were businesses moving in and a lot of animals, things like stockyards being built. And all of these people and animals and factories and businesses were dumping all of their people and animal and factory waste into the river. So the river was getting really nasty. And you can read about that. That is not the primary purpose of the book, but if you've read The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, which that could have been a whole other show. Big <laughs> if, cheer there. <laughs> That's about us. Absolutely. <laughs> it's about the dangers of the meatpacking industry in the late 1800s. <laughs> Woo. Uh, but he described the water as well as, well as all the other really gross things in the book. You can also read about the water quality. And he talks about how like the, the river, there were parts of it that were so filled with like animal bits and <laughs> leftover stuff and waste that the surface of the water was semi-solid. It, it oh. was said that like a, a chicken could walk across it. <laughs> maybe a human, <laughs> but you don't want to try. <laughs> but maybe. There is a particularly bad stretch that, uh, S that Sinclair referred to as the Great Open Sewer, but this particular stretch was known as Bubbly Creek Blah. by locals, still called that is my understanding. Uh, and it's actually, and it, it was bubbly because of all the methane from all the decomposing things in the bottom, bubbling up <laughs> to the top. Um, and it's still, I guess, the cleanup effort is still underway to fix Bubbly Creek, although it does look way better than it did in the pictures I've been, I've been researching on the internet. Keep at it, y'all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so now all this in the river. At the, the end, river, change the name, though. <laughs> yeah, once it's not bubbling Ni anymore. Nice Creek. <laughs> Or perhaps Good Creek. <laughs> Clean Creek. <laughs> Can eat the fish here now. <laughs> Delicious Creek. Don't eat the fish there now, but later. Uh, so the fact that all of this was floating in the river was, I mean, it was unpleasant, probably, if you lived there uh, at the time. If you looked out the river and there were, like, gross, you know, there was human waste, like, open human waste just floating down the river. You and can so, say Dookie. You're a doctor. Yeah. There's... <laughs> There was Dookie. So, and, and like even sometimes because of all the grease and stuff on the surface of the water, it would like catch fire, which... <laughs> which was good because that got rid of some of the Dookie. <laughs> and the, the lake, the creek would be on fire. It would be like, nice, good. <laughs> That's going to get a lot of the bad stuff. Excellent. Well, 
that's probably like scary. Have you tried that actually? <laughs> Set it on fire. I'll take care no, of it. Don't do that, please. <laughs> no, that's and that's scary and like kind of surreal probably, and also not great for tourism or like or, hey, or our cities on the grow. Tu- yeah, except <laughs> awesome for tourism. If YouTube existed back then, that would be the whole thing, right? Like, hey guys, I'm here. I'm taking the Bubbly Creek Challenge. I'm gonna walk across it. <laughs> Don't forget to like, smash that like. Hey, what's up? I'm here recapping my top 10 Bubbly Creek fails. The first one, I felt a huge pile of dookie. I was on fire. My boy Slamo filmed it. He thought it was hilarious. <laughs> Is that what that Blippy guy does? That's what Blippy does. <laughs> and that's what Blippy does. <laughs> but more importantly than how it looked really gross, um, that's not good for your health. <laughs> if the water is that is that gross and all that subjective. stuff is floating in it, um, people knew better than to drink that water. Like we didn't we didn't know a lot about like germs and how diseases were spread quite yet at this point in history. But we at least knew enough to say like that water is brown and there are like sludgy things in it, and I, that looks like part of a pig. I'm not going to drink that water. So we knew that, but what we didn't quite understand is that all that stuff was going into the river, flowing down the river into the lake where we definitely were getting our drinking water from. And so everybody was drinking the water from the lake, but it was being constantly polluted by the river. And as more and more people moved in and there was more and more waste in the river, more and more was going into the lakes, people started to get really worried about this. Um, at the time, there were already like yearly outbreaks of cholera and typhoid and dysentery. And while, again, people didn't quite understand all the connection as to what did I just do that made me so sick, they knew something about the water was the problem. And they knew that the more of this stuff that was flowing into the lake, the more danger they were in. At the time, you actually would buy your water from like a water peddler who would come door to door with like, I have fresh Lake Michigan water from you, for you. I tried to get it further away <laughs> from the river. Wink, uh, wink. <laughs> the medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious, and you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat, there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. 
Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And I should say, again, a lot of this was still based on the miasma theory of disease. And this is why the solutions they came up with at first didn't always make a lot of sense. And the miasma theory of disease was that if something like smells bad, if there's like a gross thing there, then it's like emanating these fumes that will make you sick. And so if you dump some waste in the river and it's just there, that's bad. But if you can just kind of flush it on down away from you, you're fine. So initially, the thought was, okay, we're, we're going to have to fix this. We need to get all this sewage that's just sort of like sitting out in the river around people where we're living. We need to get it away from us. How can we do that? So they turned to a guy, Ellis Sylvester Chesborough. That's a name. <laughs> I knew you would enjoy that name. It's very I mean, good. When I found it, I thought Justin I'm, loved it. Alice, whatever this cat's planning, I'm in. And and his first idea seems kind of obvious. He said, what about a sewer? Y'all hadn't? Okay. Perhaps we should have one. I've seen them in Europe. They're fantastic. They're amazing. You know how I we, helped build one in Boston. Let's you know, get one. You know how we put the dookie in the river? Get this. <laughs> tubes for it. But where do the tubes go? I don't know. Well, that's, They won't let me gonna... in the tubes in Europe. I just know there are tubes. And the dookie goes away. We're going to get to that. That was part of the problem. I just have to say, though. (laughs) I have to say, though, that when this sounded very simple, we'll just go underneath all the roads and build pipes and carry all the poop away from people's homes and whatever, and then we'll be fine. Except they were depending on gravity to do the work, which meant that it had to flow down. But the town was, like, on the level of the river and the lake and everything, basically. So there was no gravity to work with. So Chesboro said, well, I think we're just going to have to raise the city. (laughs) Just, like, lift it all up. 
which is exactly what you all did. Which is why they just raised the whole freaking city, like anywhere from two feet to eight feet in some areas, just like dredged up like clay and dirt from the bottom of the river and dumped it on the roads until it was like, well, my bottom floor is now my cellar. I'm moving to the second floor because that's where the road is. I now understand why y'all thought you could get away with mixing cheese and caramel popcorn together. <laughs> you, spat, you spat in God's face and lived to tell the tale. Now you're cocksure and, and think you can handle anything. I love it. The whole city is like an act of defiance in the face of nature, and I, I'm so here for it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So they, so they raised the whole city, and, they, and that must have been such a bummer if you didn't have, like, a jack under your house, which they literally did. They jacked up some of the houses up to street level. But, so they raised the whole city, and they built the sewer, and they are like, this is fantastic, except where did the pipes go? Into the lake. <laughs> so it's kind of like a fun water slide for the dookie. <laughs> but the splashdown is the same place. So then Chesborough was like, new idea. <laughs> We're going to build a tunnel way down under the city, and it's going to go way out into the lake, uh, like two miles out, and from there we'll collect the drinking water. So like it'll, the drinking water will go in the, in the tunnel at this end and flow all the way up to the city on this end, and so all the pollution is going out right, you know, right where the river met the lake, but like the drinking water is coming from out here, so we're probably cool. So they did. Over the course of three years, they built this giant tunnel and got all the water from further out in the lake. And for a while, that seemed like a good solution. Everybody was like, this looks good. The water's very brown here, but out there it looks pretty good. <laughs> and that's where the tube is, so we're fine. <laughs> but again, the city was growing and growing and growing. And the more people, the more waste, the more fear there was that that waste was getting pushed further and further out. The pollution was extending farther, and what if it was going to get in the drinking water? And again, there were still these periodic outbreaks of disease, um, especially after a heavy rain. And this is where the story gets a little murky. So... <laughs> but um. <laughs> well, so in 1885, there was a huge rainstorm. And this part is definitely true. There was a huge rainstorm in Chicago. And the, the river flooded and the, the lake flooded. There was just water everywhere. Way more rain than anybody predicted. And the story that was told many, many years after is that because there was so much extra water and everything got shoved out towards the, the pipe where the drinking water came in, that there were huge outbreaks of cholera and typhoid and dysentery following this giant rainfall, and that everybody got sick, and numbers like 90,000 people died that year of these diseases. And this is what, this, this event, and then the, some more outbreaks that followed, really spurred this idea, like, we've got to do something else. There has to be a better way. <laughs> and back in 1871, Chesborough had been really inspired by a, an accidental reversal of the flow of the river. 
there had been, they had been digging out a different canal and they had added some extra water to the river and they had accidentally in this whole process temporarily reversed the flow of the river. And when he saw that happen and everybody saw that happen just for a brief period of time, he back then had said, I think our only solution is to change the direction this river flows. Because then we'd get all this clean lake water coming in, all the pollution would just keep on going downstream. To somewhere. <laughs> we have literally no way of knowing where. And, and then all this stuff we're dumping in the river will be someone else's problem. Namely, St. Louis. It would... <laughs> it would... <laughs> It, it would be St. Louis's problem. Is that's, uh, and so because of that, that that happened years ago, and like Chesborough had suggested it, even though at this point he was no longer actually by the time this project starts, Chesborough has died. There His she idea is. There lives you on. got him, Sid. No, I just. <laughs> Sidney likes to follow everybody's historical story until they meet the rigor. I don't know why, but. We got him. I mean, did you think he was still alive? No, I'm just We're glad we get hit. We're in 1892 right now. <laughs> you just don't let anybody fade away back into the history books. You know what I mean? Like, well, I've done my part. They have to walk them right to their grave. Well, it was push even, them right in. But after his death, his idea lived on. And in 1892, they began the construction of a canal. The idea was that we're going to connect the Chicago River to the Des Plaines River. And when we do that, all the water is going to start flowing that direction and eventually join the Mississippi River system, and this is great. And instead of us contaminating our own drinking water, we're just going to be making things really bad <laughs> for everything downstream. And we don't care about that because we live here. <laughs> And so they began building the Chicago Sanitarian Ship Canal. And it would take a lot longer than they expected for a couple reasons. First of all, like, it was really hard to do that. They had to, like, dig a lot. They had to, like, invent, like, steam-powered, you know, digging machines to do that. The, the technology that was created for this project was actually all used years later for the Panama Canal. This was all, like, the foundation for the building of the Panama Canal. All that technology was developed. Um, so that would, like, slow things down. But the other reason is because cities downstream, hearing about what Chicago was doing, were like... Can you not? Uh, <laughs> they had, yeah, Chicago had to throw a huge blanket over the whole thing every time St. Louis came by. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of digging. Like, I don't think so. So it became a court battle. Uh, St. Louis was like, um, I don't think, we don't, we would rather you don't do this. And Chicago was arguing, listen, uh, the police Free water. <laughs> <laughs> they were arguing that, well, one, they did argue, like, we're going to have this influx of all this clean lake water, so that's fine. And, and it's going to get down to your city eventually, so that's good. Uh, and two, the pollution is going to be so diluted, you won't even notice it. <laughs> It's like it's not even there. They actually, that was, the, that was their rallying cry. The, the solution to pollution is dilution. <laughs> we'll just dilute the waste out. And St. Louis was arguing like, okay, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, even like diluted human feces is not great. <laughs> so could you keep that in Chicago, please? Thank you. 
And it was moving very slowly through the courts. Like, St. Louis had actually gone to the Supreme Court and said, like, could you please stop them? They're just, they're digging and digging. And eventually, <laughs> this is going to happen. Please. And someone please stop Re them. Please reason with Chicago. <laughs> So in 1899, they specifically went to the Supreme Court and asked them for an injunction. And even though it was moving slowly, there was a lot of fear by the end of the year that the court was actually going to hand down at least a, a temporary injunction to say, like, let, let's look into this a little bit more. And halfway rerouting a river is nothing. <laughs> like, you halfway turn a river the other direction, you haven't done anything, really. It's just stopped. <laughs> it's a skinny lake. But Chicago knew they had to act fast. They, they had to reverse this river because by the year 1900, Chicago had over like a million and a half people living here. So it had grown very large and the river was very gross and something had to be done. So before the courts could decide one way or the other, on January 2nd of 1900, <laughs> in the early morning hours, this is really how this was done, a group of people from like the sanitary district in Chicago and some of the engineers and like government people and like their wives and friends <laughs> went down to the last dam, the last dam that was holding back the river that, that before it joined the Des Plaines. They went to the dam and decided we're going to break it down ourselves. <laughs> we're going to do it. We're not going to announce it. We're not going to tell the press. They had like one photographer there. They had like one, they told like one guy like, "Listen, I'm gonna give you the exclusive, but don't tell St. Louis. Don't, don't put it on Instagram. You know they'll see it because <laughs> they'll definitely come stop us because this isn't strictly legal." So they went, and it took them. It should be like really cool. Like they showed up, and they 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 went at it at first just with their shovels. They were like, "Yes, we're doing this." We're reversing the river. That didn't work. The shovels didn't work. It was very cold. There was lots of ice. There was, there was like clay. I mean, it was hard to break through the dam and everything. So they tried with shovels for a while. They tried with their big steam-powered machines. None of this was working very well. So eventually they had to start throwing dynamite at it. <laughs> there it is. It took quite a while, but they did indeed break the dam. And they reversed the flow of the river. And so at that point, even though Missouri is still fighting this and, and like trying to get the Supreme Court to do something, the river is now flowing the other direction. <laughs> so it's going to be a lot harder to stop. And <laughs> it wasn't even until 1906, so six years later, that finally the Supreme Court kind of weighs in. And... <laughs> <laughs> and Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes says, ah, I think it's fine. Um, <laughs> it's been six years. Who remembers what direction it was going in the first place? He said, he said look, uh, I've looked at the Mississippi, and you're right, it's nasty. So uh, maybe that did happen because of what Chicago did, but there are also a lot of other cities dumping their waste into the river, so we can't blame it all on Chicago. So I don't know, and maybe all that lake water is a good thing, really. If I was the judge, I'd be like, listen, if you're so mad about it, why don't you do like Chicago did? Make it go the opposite direction. Back to Chicago. This is how, this is how we handle river law in America now. It's just who's, who can, who's the toughest who can make the river flow back at the other people. This is, it's chaos out there. 
I have to imagine the fact that like they'd already done it weighed heavily on this decision. Like right. So uh, they so the river now flowed the other direction. They de- there was definitely a noticeable difference pretty quickly in just like the appearance of the river because everything was going down to St. Louis now. It was their problem. Uh, <laughs> they uh, they of course had to take other measures over the years to like eventually stop um, dumping like raw sewage into the river. <laughs> that's a bad idea, even if it is going to St. Louis. Um, <laughs> you don't want to do that. Uh, but it was, it was touted as one of the greatest like, engineering achievements in the history of you know, mankind as we, we reverse the flow of a river. Um, now, my understanding from reading a lot about this is that it has created some problems now, other than the whole thing about making St. Louis your toilet, <laughs> <laughs> which is not very nice. Uh, it has allowed for like invasive species like Asian carp are now coming in and like I guess a lot of money is spent trying to keep those and like zebra mussels out of the Mississippi River system. So there are other problems and I even read like somebody suggesting like maybe we should flip it back. <laughs> Which seems like, well that would probably be a lot easier now. Um, but the real kicker to this whole story is that a lot of it was based on this idea that so many people were dying of these infectious diseases right before the river reversal that there was no other choice. You just had to do it, right? It was for the good of the people of the city. And like, there's even like a story that goes with one of the guys who was like sitting there hammering away at the dam with a shovel was like crying as he watched the water finally break through because he lost both of his parents to cholera. And so like he's finally like stopping the scourge of these diseases. And so it was all this very like, you know, like we have to do this for the people of Chicago. But the, the real kicker is that that big outbreak of cholera and typhoid and dysentery in 1885 that killed 90,000 people never happened. It is completely a myth. (laughs) Y'all. Did you just really hate St. Louis? (laughs) That's like the meanest, that's like such a mean prank to do. I mean, there definitely were cases of that. I'm not saying nobody got cholera, but if 90,000 people had died at that point, it would have been like 12% of the population. There would have been some news stories, you would think, one or two. And in all honesty, there were actually fewer deaths that year of those diseases than in typical years. Oh, no. Uh, The last big outbreak of cholera had been back in like 1867 there really wasn't a big one since then and typhoid deaths were about the same every year so these were problems and getting clean water of course was very important but this this huge outbreak that like had to spur everybody to action is completely false it's like such a big myth that there's like an entire wikipedia page dedicated to the myth of the chicago 1885 cholera outbreak (laughs) Uh, that never happened. That, that didn't happen. I guess it, it came from, like, in the 1950s, there was some other sort of, like, river project that people were trying to get pushed through, and there was some resistance, and they were like, well, we don't want to face another situation back in, you know, 85 when, like, mm, like 90,000 people died or something like that. Remember that? And everybody was like, what? <laughs> huh? And there was no internet, so nobody could check, and everybody was like, did you hear that? Did you know that? I didn't know that. And I missed it. No. 
I thought I heard about a lot of people dying, but I just assume. Wow. There's a. It, I found all of this fascinating, and if you do too, <laughs> there's a great book that I, I've read quite a bit of just to do this episode called The Chicago River, A Natural and Unnatural History by Libby Hill, which is, a, if you're interested in this, it's been a fascinating book, so yeah. I just had to mention. It's okay, too, if you feel too guilty to read it, because you're like, sorry <laughs> my grandpa made up the cholera. <laughs> sorry about all our grandpas. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for having us here in your beautiful city, Chicago. I say, I say leave the river however it is. You all broke down the dams. It's your river now. Thank you also Did for having... Did this dam belong to St. Louis, too? <laughs> oh, man, guys. Our dam. Thank you for also... You, you all have the best children's museum that at least oh, I have been to. Slam Slam dunk and a very good Margaritaville. Yes, yes, yeah. We and we go to a lot of children's museums. <laughs> so, all of them. Yes, all of them. So, thanks to the taxpayers for the use of our song "Medicines" as the intro and outro of our program. Um, we are uh, gonna do my, 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 you know, the advice one uh, here in a second. If you have questions that you'd like us to answer. You can send those to live at mbmbam.com. And in the subject line, you're going to put your name and seat number. And in the body, one sentence question, uh, advice, please, that we can help with. And uh, we'll, we'll you know, bring somebody up to the microphones. Uh, that is going to do it for us for this week, Sidster. So until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Thank you.